This episode of the Commerce Marketer Podcast is brought to you by the Bronto Marketing Platform, a flexible yet powerful software that helps you grow revenue, save time, and optimize marketing resources. If you're interested in making sophisticated email marketing easy, visit bronto.com. That's B-R-O-N-T-O.com. Welcome inside the Commerce Marketer Podcast Studio. I am your host, Greg Zakwitz, and today we are talking tariffs. Past 18 months, companies have been dealing with the tariff fallout, but getting business in order still remains a fluid exercise for many of them, even after the recently signed phase one of the China trade deal. We're going to discuss some practical tips, advice on tariffs from one retailer who's been directly affected by them. So let me welcome back to the show, Luke Peter, CEO and founder of New Air Appliances, founder of Retail Band, and host of the Page One podcast. So welcome back to the show, Luke. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Greg. Uh, excited to talk about, well, kind of excited to talk about tariffs. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a penalty, but it's a reality. So looking forward to digging in here. Very good. And last time you joined us, we talked about product launch strategies, which was nice. And we uncovered that you used to be a, a former microbiologist on that uh, episode as well. So it's probably good timing. What is the bigger impact on business right now, the tariffs or a coronavirus outbreak? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Cause, um, right now it's tariffs, you know, cause tariffs <laughs> is like, I mean, anybody, you know, who has a cost of good, imagine all, you know, you wake up tomorrow and everything's 25% more expensive, but you you're not charging 25% more. So that's, that's kind of the reality of, of tariffs. And I mean, there's so many other things that we can talk about uh, regarding that, but coronavirus, you know, a microbiology background, uh, I know enough to be dangerous, but you know, I'm not a PhD. So but at the same time, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Let's put it that way. So it, that's causing supply chain issues. We're right in the phase, you know, as we record this on Valentine's Day, where some factories are opening and most are not open and, and they allegedly will be open in the next 10 days. So the next 10 days is going to be critical. We're going to find out who's able to open, who isn't, and, and at what capacity level they're able to open. Very good. Uh, I guess it's not very good since we're talking about communicable diseases, but we're still there. So I mentioned that tariffs directly impact you. So let's do some level setting here. Briefly describe, if you will, kind of who New Era Appliances is, products you guys have, and then tie in, if you can, the overarching issue to that. So, you know, what kind of tariff rates are you paying now? You mentioned 25% there. What percentage of your products are being impacted by those tariffs? And just kind of give us a real quick overarching theme for your personal set up over there, if you will. Yeah, sure, Greg. So New Air, so we've been in in the industry for over 18 years and, and we're a leader in the compact appliance category. And um, a major focus would be say in the wine cooler space, in the, the beverage and beer cooler, portable ice makers, portable cooling products like uh, air conditioners and evaporative coolers and fans, and then also in the heating categories. And then finally in the small kitchen appliances, we dabble a little bit in those categories. And we're out of uh, Southern California in a city called Cyprus, have a, a large distribution center here, and we sell into uh, most of the major retailers that you'll be aware of, you know, the the Amazons and also the Home Depots, Lowe's, Wayfair's and Best Buy and, and rest of those, you know, great names to deal with. And then we also sell direct to consumer. So we're pretty diverse, uh, sell a bunch of different ways, started the company direct to consumer, but now uh, it's selling a lot uh, with these other large partners. So that's, uh, you know, enough about the company. And then as far as the tariffs go, you know, we, we were hit from the very beginning. So, uh, you know, at the beginning, some companies got kicked into a 10% category. And it's so funny because looking back at that, 
It it didn't have a major, major impact. I mean, obviously it erodes your margins, but you can get some of that from your supply chain, which we were able to, but then we got moved into the 25%. And that is um, really, you're in the penalty box there. You're in timeout. And the, uh, the, the, the both governments are saying, um, find a way to deal with it, I guess. And then you go to your customers and and they think, oh, you can just, you know, go to China and, and find 25%. And they say it with a straight face, but that's, you know, that's not happening. So you have to really work your way around that. It's a tough one to be in. And then, you know, recently that phase one deal was signed. Uh, unfortunately, that has not uh, impacted our category. I kind of laugh because I'm like, it's phase one, but there's a number attached to it, right? So, you know, phase one's probably going to be the easiest like that baseline one to get passed. So you assume it probably is not going to impact a whole lot of people. Grand scheme of things. Are you comfortable sharing with what percentage of your products actually come from China? They, almost all of them. Okay. Almost all of them. So, and then almost all are impacted, but not all, you know, there's probably about 85% of our stuff is, is impacted at the 25%. So when these things were coming down, when you, you know, like you guys have gone through a lot of steps to try to I don't say remedy it, but live in the world in an, I guess, agreeable way. How long did it take you from start to finish to kind of feel your way through that, to get to a point where you guys are at least comfortable for the timing? And that's assuming you are comfortable right now. Yeah. Oh, no, we're not. No one's comfortable when they're paying 25%. So, <laughs> see, see, the thing is, you know, you keep poking away at different areas of improving supply chain and then, you know, pushing a, a small price increase through all of these things are just mandatory. They have to happen. And, and we're still making certain improvements that are going to, you know, get a percent here or a percent there to help us out. But I don't think anybody's going to be comfortable at 25%. It's going to take more time. I think it's going to take, uh, I mean, if it, let's say things didn't change, maybe in a year or two, it can become the new normal. I think the 10%, you know, became after a year or so kind of people could deal with it. But 25% in, in, you know, in our, in our category, the margins aren't big enough to support, you know, a 25% increase in cost of goods and, and just uh, deal with it. So, so that part, you know, really hasn't normalized. So, and then to make it things more difficult, it's really hard to go around the world and source the same product, you know, that we're, we're deeply invested with our factories, you know, in time and design and relationships and the supply chain is very long, you know, behind the factory. It's, it's huge, you know, to get all the componentry. So, you know, we've gone all over the world, but it's, it's a lot easier said than done. And if we were making something like, you know, cookware or something like that, that I think is easier to move to a Vietnam or another country, but it's hard when you're selling electrics and you have that different componentry along with a department of energy regulations and uh, safety UL and ETL regulations um, that are going to be involved. Makes sense. And, and, you know, with the tariffs, you can't sit here and just pass the 25% off to your consumers. They're just not going to pay the increased prices. They're going to say, I'm going to find somewhere else. Even if everyone does, and we know not everyone's going to do it. So if we take a step back and look at the situation, what are some things that retailers or, or that you guys have found to effectively respond to those increased costs, knowing that you can't just pass the buck? off to the customers. Yeah. So that it, it, that's a great question. Now, first of all, you don't have to do 25% because 25% is on your cost. So then obviously on the sale price, you know, it's going to be a lesser percentage than that. So let's just say, uh, you know, 15 for sake of a round number is, is, is on the, on the actual customer price, you know, it may only need to go up that much or, or 12% or whatever the case is, you know, it doesn't need to go up the full 25, 
But you know, if you're selling through a retailer, you may have to increase onto them, and then there they may have to push an increase. So obviously, that's going to be one part. You know, it would be a, a price increase. But then beyond that, you know, you're going to go through your whole supply chain. So that means, you know, repricing out in in China. So you had the the RMB moved a little bit. It didn't move as much as a lot of people think it moved, by the way. And then whenever someone says, "Well, the RMB moved," you always have to say, "Well, what's the from what date?" You know, because it, it just fluctuates against the U.S. dollar. If you go back a couple of years, it's always moving up and down different directions. So that's a tough one. Um, in this case, it wasn't like it easily and clearly just moved 10% in our favor. There definitely were some of those movements, but then some reverse movements. So, but you can definitely get something on the currency side. And then the factories um, are, you know, can be extremely supportive, especially if you're a strong partner with the factory. So you can get some more, a little bit more from the factories, but not as much as what your retail customers may think. They may think it's so easy to walk over there and get 10%. But I mean, if you've been doing a good job all along, you're probably already at a competitive price you know, from the factory. So there just isn't that much meat on the bone. But that's those would be a couple areas there. And then on the way back, you know, look at your shipping. Look at uh, you know, how's your ocean freight looking? What are the options for improved ocean freight relationships or pricing? A lot is happening in the ocean freight industry, but you know, the typical containers, you know, it's gonna it's a couple thousand to the west coast and and then even fifteen hundred dollars more to get to the east coast. And then you're gonna have, you know, inland shipping costs and drayage. And so there's there's a lot of things where even um chassis costs, I mean, we get down to even even that. So you know, depending on the delivery and how long the chassis is at your dock, you know, there you're gonna get charged certain amounts. And so optimizing it all the way through, making sure you, your ops team is is really strong and looking at every one of those costs so that you're not overpaying and and getting hit with things like demurrage and and uh, chassis costs and all of those things added up just on the ocean side, you could easily get another you know percent, maybe even two, which doesn't sound like a lot, but remember, I mean, depending on what your cost of good is, if if your cost of good in a container is you know, 50 to a hundred thousand. And then your ocean freight's just a couple thousand. It's hard to get another percent, you know, just on, on the ocean transit, but then there's, there's the, uh, us side, uh, tra- transit related costs. And, and so going through all of those, you can maybe get another, like I said, 1% probably. A couple of things to unpack there, but one, let's, let's start with the factory. So the common thing is, well, it's cheaper to produce things in China. Just go find someone else. You mentioned some of those hurdles already, right? You've already got certification. You have working relationships with these people. In many cases, you don't want to destroy that. So you really get down to the point of, hey, what's better for us? Let's try to work with the factories that we have this relationship with and and maintain it. So really, you're looking at renegotiating these costs in some respect. So with that being said, can you offer any advice when people want to approach their manufacturer to say to effectively renegotiate the cost? Are there certain areas where uh, you can pull that out of? Is it kind of pushing those costs further down the road so they're spread out over time? What are some of those key things that retailers or companies should be looking at? It's a great question because it actually can be pretty complex. Now, people who are doing this will probably know a lot of these things, um, but you know, if they don't, then hopefully there's I can provide uh, you know some extra things to think about here. But but oftentimes, you know, depending who the listener is, like if it's the the owner of the company may not always think of all these levers and then the supply chain may think of some of them but not others sometimes you know people think of it only from a price standpoint but you know there's terms involved as well so that's the first one i would say is you know what are your supplier terms can you improve your supplier terms because let's say all things being equal price does not 
increase, but you go get an extra 30 days of credit, there's a value to that, you know, and you can, you can maybe associate a 1% value, say, uh, if you get an extra 30 days or something like that. And that's an important thing for finance. That's an important thing for your uh, bank relationship and your cash flow of the company. So that's the first thing I would go after. And in that, you know, there's, there's definitely uh, credit agencies in China. Sinusure is a huge one and working with companies like that, because that's what your factory is going to ask you to do. So making sure your finance team is strong, you've got, you know, strong financials, um, reviewed or audited financials, and then you work with the, uh, China credit agency like that, that you can then take to your factory. That's, that'll give you like step one of terms or improved terms. And then step two is just on relationship. You know, you have, how important are you to, to that factory? Are you more than 10% of their total sales? If you are, you probably can even get, you know, version two of that, which means more than more days than just what Sinusure is, is uh, insuring the factory. Because a lot of that, those terms are going to be insured. I mean, your factory is going to pay for that, by the way. So it is, they are kind of throwing you a bone for lack of a better uh, term, but they're, they're, they're giving you one because they, they got to pay for it. And they're getting insured on that. So that I would start there. And then I would, um, and then of course it's just, then it's just straight negotiation, you know, um, partnership, letting the factory know that, Hey, you know, we're hurting over here and, uh, word has it that the Chinese government is hurting, is helping the factories. And if that's the case, you know, you got to pass some of that on to us. So that's the partnership one. And that's the negotiation side of it. And then side three is to go to all of your factories and, um, you know, see if other factories can do similar products. And, and then that is, you know, just understanding that through all of your, your whole supply chain and all your factories that you're getting the best price and, and requote and RFQ out to other factories to make sure that you're getting the best price. And that just keeps everything honest. And, um, at the same time, you know, being respectful with your key relationships. So two follow-up questions there. One, when you guys were going through that process, were you meeting face-to-face or was it done mostly over the phone or via email? Yeah, face-to-face. You can't get around that. Um, obviously, there is it's going there is over the phone in between. Sure. But multi- multiple trips uh, you know, in the past year, luckily, not, not for myself, but my team. I got a great team that, that's able to handle this. And then some, the factories will come to us. You know, they'll come out here. So right now, it's just crazy with the coronavirus, right? But but uh, we just visited with a, with a key factory, you know, um, three weeks ago. So you get that FaceTime, and in China, it's very relationship driven. It's there's a lot that's built on trust, and that FaceTime's invaluable. And then, like any negotiation, you have to be able to go into a conversation and prepare for a no, right? So you you have to know how you're going to respond. So have you either been in the situation, or if not? What were kind of your steps in planning for going over there and having the manufacturer say, sorry, nothing we can do. We still love you though. Yeah. You know, one nuance and, and listen, every culture is different. So it's important that, you know, as Americans, we understand how other cultures work. And also it's great if companies can have, you know, Chinese or Taiwanese uh, folks on their team because they get the culture. What I've seen is you usually don't get a hard no. That's not generally part of the culture. I think a lot of factories just in a respectful way, they, they may handle it differently where they'll take in the information and then get back to you. Okay. And no may come through from one of their folks to maybe your supply chain person or sourcing person. So the no's come a different way. They're, they're oftentimes not as direct. 
as say, you know, two Americans negotiating together. And I, and I attribute that maybe to, you know, a cultural difference. And so really understanding that because, and it's hard to get a yes at the same time. Often it's not hard to get a yes. It's hard to get a specific yes. So that, you know, most factories want to kind of take it back. But I think if you send out quotes, you know, for like an RFQ and you, and they're going out to different factories, you eventually will get your numbers. And, and so it's, a it, I guess, you know, you have the cultural difference to take into account. And then I guess what that means is the timing can sometimes be stretched out a little longer than maybe it is over here. Okay. But the timing, even if it gets stretched out though, it's, you're still working toward a goal. So you, you, you know, there's still that working relationship there. So while it may not be ideal, it's still moving forward. So I always look at that as a good thing. Yeah. And I mean, well, back to, you know, what you said earlier, the number one thing is a relationship. And uh, so you're, you're always moving forward and you're not always getting what you want, but listen, in business, we don't always get what we want. You know, we have to ask, and then you find out, you know, where that, where that point is, because at the same time, you know, they have to make a quality product. And, uh, so both sides have to be profitable and it's, it's a, it's a partnership there and both sides have to be profitable without saying exactly what they need to be profitable. Right. But I think at this end, I think the factories have to realize that the brands here in America facing the 25% tariff, they're the ones getting hurt and we're taking the brunt of it. So at this time, you know, the factories do have to have some concessions. Another thing that I, I didn't mention earlier was that sometimes it's not just, you're not just getting a price decrease. Sometimes there, there's going to be account credits or earned credits that you can build into accounts, you know, depending on your sales levels and re, or another word is, you know, calling them rebates. So there's many ways to, to kind of get there. Um, and rebates can be based on performance that can be negotiated with the factory, you know, and that kind of is hopefully can be viewed on as a win-win. How about you talked about freight before anything that maybe you either glanced over in that good detail or you maybe left off from the supply chain side of things that companies can start either looking at it internally or uh, renegotiating on their side as well? Or did you pretty much cover that before? Well, no, I would, listen, if I can name out a freight forwarder, uh, it, you know, I would say that this company, this new company, Flexport is just incredible. And, you know, there's a huge, there's a bunch of huge names in the freight industry. Anybody in the business will kind of, will, will know a lot of these companies, but this, they're kind of a newer startup and they're still pretty big though. They have a ton of funding uh, by some massive investors and they're disrupting the whole industry. And they have an amazing um, backend. So uh, meaning your sourcing teams and supply chain teams are going to love it because they're a technology company that does uh, freight, ocean freight. And uh, just the, t the people they have, have a, a, they're more creative. And they, so there's some advantages on, I, I guess what I was saying is on the you know, importation of products. And when you're looking at your ocean freight, just like a dot-com com company is going to be, you know, negotiating with FedEx and UPS and trying to get the best rates. It's like, if you're bringing all this product in, you got to look at that ocean freight component, but it's not just the price, you know, it's also the systems and how those systems integrate with your system and how automated they are and how much um, work is the team having to do and in what credit terms can you even get with them? Because remember when you're buying, so, so you're paying duties through these brokers, right? Through your freight forwarders the duties are kind of working their way through them. And so that's going to impact uh, credit levels with them. All of a sudden, you know, you go from paying none or very small duties to massive duties. And, right? and so, you know, like if you bring in $10 million, that could be two and a half million dollars right there. And if you didn't have big credit terms set up, it's going to cause you issues with demerge. These are all things that a lot of companies probably already work their way through, 
But companies that haven't actually seen the tariffs yet and might have to be thinking about that. And so just besides the cost savings, Flexport, amazing company, a great people, and there's a lot of benefits besides just the cost savings when you work with a company like that. Very cool. Is there a uh, particular, like, how did you find out about them? Was it uh, just something you read about? Was it, you know, a cold call, cold email or something like that? Like, how did you find the information on, on Flexport? Yeah. So I, I got a really, an amazing person who, who kind of runs my ops and finance and he went out and did a, he did, I think a 10 company RFQ for, for freight. Uh, he really did a detailed process you know, narrowed it down, then visited the top three, really uh, just a fantastic process to, uh, you know, because when you visit, you got to see, hey, who are we going to work with? The people are so important. So it was through that process that, you know, Flexport really stood out because you go visit them, you see their systems. It's a tech company. It's t- they're, they're changing the whole industry. And, um, and then uh, cap it off, they actually have a trade show. So we went to the trade show. It's, it's in, uh, so like in Manhattan beach and, uh, it's great. They, you know, they had shack over there, but it was, it was, it was pretty cool because, uh, you just see more about the company and you become comfortable because when you switch to a company, I mean, you're switching, this is a major business decision and, um, you know, it's not something to take lightly. So that's how we found they, they were just part of that process. But, you know, with the with friends and colleagues, definitely, um, recommending them as kind of a, a new player in the game and, and someone, you know, that should get an opportunity on the quotes. Very good. Some of that looks like it's kind of external, but some that's almost day-to-day business operations as well. So if we're talking about handling, you know, your supply chain, handling your manufacturing relationships and renegotiating, how about anything maybe internally that companies can start to look at that might just be considered part of their day-to-day business operations, whether it's billing, I, I don't know, I'm just making stuff up now, but is there anything internally that they companies can either do to help alleviate some of those costs or if there's something they could perform an audit on, they should be looking at internally to help them prepare for either having to address tariffs that are upcoming or to work through the current tariffs. Yeah. I mean, these are really good questions. There's a lot there, a lot there to talk about because you could, so let's start with, let's look at it in two different directions. You know, how can you reduce costs in your company unrelated to the tariffs, but just because you need to reduce costs, right? And then how can you reduce costs still on your, on your product? which is still unrelated to the tariff. This is stuff you could have done before, but now, you know, we're all forced to look at it. So starting with the product, you know, look at packaging, look at damages, hard to do, very difficult, trust me. I mean, but in our industry, there was a lot of regulations that came in with Department of Energy. So a lot of our products had to be retooled, which cost more money. And then um, Amazon had some requirements on 6A packaging and, you know, we're fully compliant on those. So, but when you repackage, it's a great opportunity to look at damage and then retest all of your drop tests. Now that can have a negative impact on container quantity, which is going to re- is going to increase the cost to ship each unit. Good point. You know, but you're having to package it here stateside too. So now you can package it there. It comes over here already packaged, double packaged, right? Because a lot of large products need that. You're not having to do it here. So there's a little bit of a trade-off because now your team can be more efficient here. So labor-wise, you're going to be more efficient. You're not having to spend three to four, three to five minutes, you know, with this really detailed packing of a product where it just, we call them slaps. You just slap a label on it. They're ready to go. Things like that can, you have to measure the cost benefit, right? You're going to have slight increase in freight costs, uh, but then you're not going to have to order 
packaging here. You're not, your team's not going to have to actually repackage product. And hopefully, you know, when it's done at the factory level and it's tested, you're going to get a better result. So looking at product packaging would be a great one looking at damages. And then for the rest of the company, it's, you know, look at your systems. So we, most companies are going to have some sort of ERP, uh, especially companies like ours that, that are operating, you know, in a, in a, a branded uh, distribution business. And so looking at your ERP and what can be better automated. So for us, it was easier because we had just switched to NetSuite. So we were forced. In fact, we did that last year. So it was one heck of a year, you know, tariffs plus ERP uh, transition. <laughs> but, you know, when you do that, it, you know, if you have, like, we have an amazing team that did it, amazing team. And in one of them, she's just, uh, you know, an EDI extraordinaire. And so you have someone great like that who is optimizing your company with EDI feeds and what that can do is automate a lot of processes that were not automated previously. And uh, the net result is you're, you're more efficient there as well. You know, you, you need less hands to do the same thing. So people can be, you know, elevated into better positions that are, you know, contributing more to the company and, and hopefully doing less manual work. So those are a couple areas to look at. Great example and insights. I want to ask you about the repackaging. When it comes to repackaging, is that something that you guys did in response to tariffs being levied? No, I mean, listen, it, it wasn't because what happened was we had the Department of Energy regulations came down. And then at the same time, um, there's some new shipping requirements by Amazon called 6A. And because it went from 3A to 6A. And so it just meant that if your product was not optimized in that packaging, then you would pay a little bit of a penalty. And to top it off, well, as a benefit for us, the thing is when you do this, at the factory level, you can mix containers and send it to uh, 3PLs that are elsewhere in the country. So meaning, let's say, so in our case, you know, we, we can ship out of different 3PLs with different partners. And those partners may not have enough volume to take a whole container of a SKU on a continual basis. Some might, but some might not. But if your product is already ready to go in China, you can now mix a container, get four SKUs in there, lower the quantity level of each SKU, ship it directly to that customer, you know, on a regular basis, say one container a month, and they're able to turn the product. So there's advantages to having it uh, done. So multiple advantages, you know, the, you know, what got us going was the, the fact that we had to retool because of three of, of six A. But then once you have that done, you're, you, you know, it opens up your opportunities for shipping direct mixed containers to uh, various partners. Makes sense. And I don't know, so I'm, I'm going to ask it say a company's looking at this and says, okay, let's, let's do the repackaging. Let's explore this with our manufacturers. And you're not currently doing it. Is that something where you would be able to negotiate? Like, would that help you in your negotiations for trying to offset some of the tariff costs? If you're able to add services like packaging onto the manufacturer side versus doing it, say state side. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. I don't know that it really helps you. I, I think the actually there's a problem and that is Sometimes the factories will give you a better price on it, and then you'll ask for a price reduction, and they'll say, "Well, we didn't charge you everything it would have cost us for the package." Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so it it clouds the water a little bit. I don't think there's a huge there's an advantage there, like you know that they're going to be charging you more. What they want to see is they just want to see more product volume. Okay. Uh, so actually can make it more confusing. All right, let's let's talk about kind of a, a side thing to product volume. Last time you were on the podcast, we talked about product launch strategies, and you guys launch a lot of products throughout the course of the year. I think maybe my memory serves me correctly. You might've said about 50 plus products a year. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. 
this has to play into serious considerations for how many you launch. So I'll just ask, does it impact how you either launch or relaunch products because of the tariffs? Well, for sure. I mean, look, a company is always going to try to refresh SKUs. So you're going to be launching products and innovating and improving. But then, you know, launching is also a chance to reset pricing. Everybody knows that. So it, it can definitely help. It can be part of a strategy. It's going to be really interesting this year because, you know, we with the virus and how that's hitting supply chains, there's going to be shortages absolutely for sure in the next couple of months. I mean, I can I can already tell. We just don't know how bad. Well, my team's prediction is uh, uh, looks like a four to six week delay. Wow. So, so if a warehouse is already sitting on enough inventory to cover that, then they're going to be fine. But if they were too thin, then they're going to potentially have some shortages. And what that means is, you know, launching new products, you have to kind of prioritize. Do you want that new SKU or do you just want more of this stuff that's already selling? You know, those will be decisions that are going to be literally made in the next a couple of weeks. But yeah, product launch is still an important one for the tariffs. Do you have a preference about which you think is better, relaunching or launching new products, new SKUs? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. It's always better if you can just keep selling your existing because they have reviews and, you know, they're going to have just the buzz. And you know, from a marketing, you know, you being a leader in, in marketing, you, you understand it's so, you know, once you already have something positions in a strong position, you don't want to lose that. And so relaunching, you're starting from scratch, you know, I mean, you could, you have advantages because you could use your brand or, or other products and tie things together. So it's better if the relaunches were only the innovative products versus, Hey, we just have to relaunch something similar because we got to reset price. But truth is that both, I think all of all three of those have to occur. You know, we're all, everybody's going to have to increase price. Plus they're going to relaunch and, and do all of some things in a defensive reason and some things in an offensive purpose, you know, with new features and in, in, like, we have like some really cool products coming up. So we have the houseware show, the international houseware show, which is called the inspired home show. Now it's in uh, Chicago. Okay. And, uh, so, so the big shows, you know, obviously you probably heard of CES, but then yep. there's the, the home and hardware show in Vegas, the international houseware show, Chicago, K biz in Vegas. So those are like big ones in the home and kitchen area. And, uh, you know, we have like a really cool, a really unique ice maker that we'll be launching over there. We have a really cool beer froster, which will get your beer down to like 23 degrees. We'll be launching that over there. And then we have a couple of other cool products that we can't talk about right now. So we're, we're moving towards more innovation. I think that's an easier way to differentiate the brand. Very cool. So you guys sell a lot through third parties, right? Home Depot, Wayfair. So we talked about kind of negotiating or renegotiating with your manufacturers and looking to save on freight and supply chain parts. How about dealing directly with your stateside vendors? Are there things that you can do that are maybe different than the same conversations you would have with your suppliers overseas? Or is it pretty much just the same principles, just moving in more stateside now? It's actually totally different. And I have a lot to, <laughs> I have, a, it is, and I have a lot to learn there, honestly. I mean, we made some mistakes and, and really in not holding firm enough. Um, listen, I know, you know, we love them and they love us, but at the end of the day, there's a 25% tariff that we're paying that they're not paying. And I think too many brands hope that their retail partners will work with them when honestly, a lot of them won't, unless you're really firm and just being realistic. Like, Hey, I mean, this the business has to do this. So definitely a mistake of not doing that sooner than later. Uh, so it is a different tone. Um, it's always a respectful and a win-win tone because everybody's got to win, 
but company's got to be around too. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not going to be a win-win for that retail partner. And uh, everybody's got to you know be able to make a, a profit on these things. So it's a different tone. And the other thing is, you know, there's a transition period, you know, if there's a price increase and the retailers are worried, well, you know, what if so-and-so doesn't raise their price and then, you know, we're going to be unprofitable. So there's like a timing aspect to it and an alignment aspect, you know, getting everybody aligned at the same time and on and at the same price to make sure that, Hey, everybody, we all got to pass it on and everybody's got to take it at the same time. Otherwise there's going to be some advantages out there that for some retailers and, and just being fair about the process going all the way across. So you mentioned you guys made some mistakes, but you've mentioned the kind of the same sentence that you didn't, maybe didn't hold firm enough. Is not holding it firm enough one of the big mistakes that you d- did make, or are there others that you're comfortable sharing? No, that's that's probably it. And 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 the team that I have now is, is doing an amazing job, and all of it is about kind of being equal on like everybody. It has to be fair and and equal going across the board, so that the all of the companies are getting you know they're they're kind of on the same competitive place and 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 there's some rules about you know if pricing fairness and um I don't know about I don't know if I don't know if the word's equality but you know making sure that there's there there are there's some rules about that and so I guess what I meant in being firm is like what you say you got to do about that and so that's uh you know having experienced people on your team that can help you with that is is really important one of the things I love about you is you're always complimentary of your staff and the team around you so this may be a better question served for them, but I'm going to pose it to you anyways, because you've probably had these conversations around initiating conversations with say these vendors, I would imagine that they try to blow you off because they kind of know what's coming. They're probably getting these things all day long from all the vendors they're working with. Yep. You don't have to throw any specific retailer on the bus, but in general, any kind of pushback or suddenly they went quiet because they knew what was coming or they were pretty receptive to it right out of the gate. And then the conversations just kind of take on a life of their own. No, I, I think here's what happens. They know what's coming. You just have to kind of keep pushing through and be firm with your, with what's coming down. And because they're not, you know, they're, they're not there. They're not going to help you push, put it in place. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But you also have to like me, you know, I don't get mad at anybody in, in, because I know it's business on their end. Look, they're just trying to do their best job and keep their P and L looking good, you know, cause you're, you're ultimately working with a buyer who ultimately is on a PL, who ultimately is running a division of that business, you know, whether in our case, probably a certain appliance category. So at the end of the day, there, there's, I'm not, I, I don't know how they are. If they're getting, you know, if they get upset, some of them might get upset. Some of them might not, but I, I don't, I just know if whatever friction there is, it's because they're probably having under pressure. You know, you always want to think a couple layers back to their boss, you know, so sure. they're under pressure. There are certain things they're trying to do at the end of the day, this is what we have to do. And you just keep moving forward. Very good. And I know about 3%, maybe 2% of all there is to know about tariffs. So I'm sure I've neglected something and I'm going to ask you what I've neglected. Before that, I ask you that though. So maybe it's a two-part question. Part one would be when we talk about renegotiating with either stateside vendors or overseas vendors or manufacturers, whatever it might be, what would you point to as being the single biggest either talking point or negotiation strategy, whatever it might be that you should go into one of these conversations with, or maybe it's just a mindset you should go in with. Yeah. Okay. Well to that, to the, to this question right here, I would say the most important thing is, you know, with, with your factory partners, the most important thing is transparency and trust in building the relationship. 
And then with the retail partners, it's kind of the conversation we just had, which is, you know, just being firm and fair and, you know, going across all and knowing that the word on the other end is always like, oh, you know, there's not enough price elasticity and et cetera, et cetera. But listen, everybody in our category is going to be in the same boat and, you know, 25%. So there's only one way that can go. So it's a little different, you know, depending on stateside or factory. And then, you know, to the uh, first question about anything not asked. No, I mean, you asked like really, really good questions, actually, Greg. I mean, these are like, these are tough ones. And, and hopefully I've answered them in enough detail for any, for, you know, for the listeners to kind of val- get, get some value out of these. But you asked really great questions. I would say that one thing that people may not know is that most categories do not have a tariff or a major tariff yet. So while we're in the 25%, it's not like all of my friends' companies are in the 25%. A lot of them are don't have any, like in some toy categories. And they're potentially going to get hit by 10 or 15. And they're really worried. And I'm and I'm chuckling, going, man, are you kidding me? I'd love to be in that <laughs> category right now. So I think that's, you know, we hear about tariffs, but the truth is not everything of only a couple, and I'm not going to say a couple, but percentage-wise of all of the trade, I don't think uh, the majority is in the 25%. I think that's still the minority, you know, from a percentage uh, basis. I would say if anything, that puts you in a pretty good position to be able to offer advice to other people though, because you are at the the far end, you're at the diving board, right? For the amount that's getting slapped on you. So putting political party aside and, and feelings on things in a vacuum, if you say flash forward five years from now and you look back and say, okay, this is where we were at five years ago. Do you think at the end of the day, your estimation is these tariffs are going to be worth it in the long run, or are you a little more tempered on that? Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of, from what perspective, right? So from a selfish perspective, they're not good for my business. But for the country, I mean, there are a lot of things that there's a reason why there is more, uh, what do you want to call it, bilateral support? You know, I mean, in I think... Democrats and Republicans support a lot of the things that are going on here in the sense of IP protection and other protections. So the, the thing is, you know, for anybody who hasn't worked with the factory, the, these people, uh, like the, working with the Chinese owners, they're the nicest people. And I think what we hear on the news, a lot of it may be coming, say, from government officials, but the, the people themselves who you're working with, these are just like, they're great, great people. And um, we built some long relationships. So I think. I don't know enough about the politics. You know, I'm focused on our industry and our factories and the business. Uh, but if what we read is true, you know, if there is this imbalance of, you know, IP protection, which it seems like, you know, there's a lot of valid reports about that, then something I guess needs to be done. It's just that we're caught in the crosshairs. It's tough. I try not to be, you know, I'm frustrated, but I try not to get upset because I know you know, there's a bigger objective here. And I don't think it's going to bring factories back to America. I don't think that's what's going to happen. But I think, you know, there's kind of a, not not a brain drain, but like an, an idea drain that companies are worried about, you know, that, or a patent drain or a trade secret drain that they want to hold on to, but companies are being pressured. So if that's the case, then, you know, we'll look back in five years and hopefully, you know, we've weathered this along with all the, uh, you know, our competitors. And hopefully this isn't the cause of, you know, someone's, um, a business casualty. And then, you know, hopefully we're all better for it. But right now it's, it's, it's a big challenge and, you know, people have to look out for their company and, uh, it's tough. Great advice, great insights. Any lasting words you want to leave with anyone? No, I mean, these are great questions. I would say, you know, if anybody, 
is interested, uh, they, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. I, I love chatting about this stuff and, and talking to other business leaders because we're always looking for new insights too. And, uh, you know, anybody success or factory success in other countries, you know, we looked in Thailand and Mexico and India and in other countries like that. So we're, we're making the world trip to, to find that out. And any, any partners out there, um, would love to connect with them and learn more. Very good. So Luke Peters, everyone find him on LinkedIn, CEO and founder of new air appliances, founder of retail band and host of the page one podcast in case you want to listen to more of what Luke has to say. So Luke, thanks so much for your time and joining again. I certainly do appreciate it. To those who have joined me for the podcast over the past two and a half years, including our listener of the week, Nicole from Schaumburg, Illinois, I would like to give you a big heartfelt thank you. Your emails, kind words, and encouragement have been so greatly overwhelming. Your time is valuable. I appreciate you choosing to spend it with me, and I wish you continued success in all your marketing and business endeavors. Until next time, have a great day, and be kind to one another.